I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. The Second Shift recently hosted our first mini retreat, and one of our speakers was Paula Atlison. She's a wellness expert and nutritionist, and I, as well as everybody else in the room, was so inspired by what we talked about and how she thinks about mindset, mindfulness, nutrition, family histories, what and why your goals are in terms of your diet and I thought it was an amazing conversation. I thought it was really important to bring it to a wider audience. I want to apologize up front to my mother, who I basically talk a lot about her eating habits and our family history. So thanks, mom. Take a listen, see what you think. I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation. Paula Atlison, welcome to The Second Shift. I'm so excited to talk to you because I think the way that you are rethinking food and wellness and mindfulness and how you put yourself first and where you step into your own power and your life is so inspirational. You are a wellness coach, leader, cheerleader, mindfulness expert, and the head of the Paola gang, which is taking over the New York circles of women who are looking to really optimize and improve their lives. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like, you know, continuing our conversation that started off in your beautiful event, it's just something that we need to keep talking about. There are so many female-related subjects that we just don't talk about, and food is one of them. Or we talk about them in a way that we've known, but there's a whole new conversation that we could and should be having at this point. So thank you so much for having me again. So we had our first mini retreat last month and you and I had the opportunity to speak in person, but it was for a very small group of women. And I really wanted to be able to open up this conversation to a wider audience who wouldn't have the opportunity to be either in New York or to come. So I really am grateful for your time because, for example, my mom is somebody who is not in any way mindful about her eating. And I think she had the privilege of being a thin person. So it wasn't something she really thought about until probably hit like menopause and then it became more of an issue for her. But it's also her habits were bad habits. Like her eating when I look at the way she eats, you know, it's like she doesn't really care about food, but she eats a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's not healthy. And then all of a sudden I realized literally while we were sitting and talking at this event, I do the same thing. You know, when I don't have my kids, I have my kids every other week. When they are not with me, I could like eat Cheetos for dinner and just be like, that's eh, fine. It's not like such a caloric meal. So that's not going to make me fat, but it's not actually healthy and thinking about what I'm putting into my body or putting myself and my optimized health, wellness, spiritually, mentally, physically first. Yeah. And I mean, it's there's so many good things that you just pointed out in that 
anecdote about your mom and, and yourself. And, you know, number one, we learn from our parents, from what we see them doing, not from what they tell us to do. I'm sure your mom was telling you, eat your veggies, sit down and eat your meal, eat breakfast, don't go to school without eating breakfast. But you saw how she ate. And that is what we carry forward with ourselves because our behavior around everything, including food, is really cemented in our subconscious at the age of two. So at two years old, we've already acquired a lot of information from our environment. And then those formative years when we're a toddler and a little kid up until we become a teenager, our brain is a sponge, right? And we are just gathering information from our environment. So the people we spend the most time with, we end up emulating what they do, not necessarily what they tell us to do. And you know, the second thing I wanted to point out is it's time to separate health with slimness, right? For many, many years, I grew up in a home as well where we equated physical shape with being healthy or unhealthy. And if you were heavier than an indicator that you're unhealthy and if you're thin, you should be fine. And what we're noticing is that you can be very slim and you're not feeling great, right? You may be tired, your sleep may be disrupted and you have somebody that could be a little bit heavier and they're actually feeling fantastic. So I still have yet to meet a person that comes to me to become a student of my program that says, I feel great. I just want to lose some weight. There's always a correlation between, you know, first how they feel and then how they look, because I work with a lot of people that are at their weight or a little bit under sometimes and they just feel terrible and they're like I don't know what I'm doing wrong right what is wrong with me because I'm eating healthy and I'm doing all the things but I feel terrible and then on the other end you have people that may be above their weight and they're also not feeling great so I don't have anybody that's like I feel great I just want to you know lose weight there's always a connection So when somebody comes to you as a client and you have different ways in which you work with clients, and I'd love you to break that down, but I would assume there's a huge mental piece. There's unpacking why they're coming and are they willing to do the work that's necessary to get to the place of feeling good rather than just here's a pill or whatever. And now you can just go on your merry way and you don't have to actually put in the time and the effort. Yeah, I mean, the wellness industry up until fairly recently, it used to be called just the diet industry. But now it's the wellness industry, which is really connected to diet because most of it stems from a weight perspective, a weight loss perspective. So it is a multi-billion dollar business, right? It's growing at an incredible pace. It hasn't even been around for that long. Like six years ago, I remember seeing like the trend reports on how it, where it could go. And now we're seeing where it is and where it's headed. So it's a different conversation. When you work with me, awareness is the number one foundational step of the program, right? So I I call my program the journey because it's a journey. It's not a walk. It's not a sprint. It's a journey that begins with working together, but you will carry forward on your own or together or a mix of both as you continue to exist, right? It's not a beginning and an end, which is usually one of the many issues with doing a diet or taking a supplement for a certain amount of time or doing something uh, very strict. So you have to come in 
hopefully with the want to understand why the heck do I do the things that I do? Why do I keep repeating the patterns? Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why do I keep trying and things don't work? And there is so much psychology behind how we eat. There's actually a lot of evidence showing that how we eat mirrors how we do a lot of other things in our life, how we spend money, how we love in relationships, how we perceive the world, you know, are we coming from a place of abundance and prosperity and safety? Or are we coming from a place of scarcity and needing to hold on? Are we coming from a place of joy and celebration? Or are we coming from a place of fear? So I don't give you a food plan. I do tell you, you know, guy, we have guidelines and all that fun stuff. But the main component is for me to allow you to walk away, really understanding who you are and where your habits come from. I love that. And just to go back to my mom for one second, not that everything is about our moms, except for it, it kind of always is, always- um, <laughs> is that I just want to point out that she was very resistant to this conversation when she came to the retreat and she walked away and she was so inspired and moved because she had never thought about it. She's a woman in her seventies who had never even thought about her relationship to food and why she eats the way she does. And it was like all these light bulbs going off in her head. And once you think about it, you can see the relationships and you can see the family patterns and it's so illuminating. I think about friends too. If you just pay attention all of a sudden, you can start to hear what people are saying. And like you said, so much about your own self-worth or the family patterns that you may have or trying to break or you know how you feel about yourself is about you and food. Yeah, how you build a plate and how you eat that plate of food will reveal so much about how you do everything else. And, you know, I love that conversation we had with your mother because you were there too. So it was seeing a mother-daughter dynamic. And by the way, you and your mom are so stunning. Like you just, you're just beautiful, gorgeous women, right? And for her, I saw the resistance when we were talking about mothers, right? Because Yes, it all goes back to our mother. There are queens, there are goddesses. You know, when you're a child, you are at the mercy of your parents, right? Like they are your your defenders, they're your providers. So we do put them on a pedestal. They are our gods and our goddesses. Unfortunately, our moms get most of the bad rap because they are the ones we are more attached to. That should get a little bit of, you know, sometimes for the thing because there's a father wound too but when we focus on the moms I I had a little a moment of having a one-on-one conversation with your mom and I said you know for many many years I wasn't aware of how much I actually adopted and adapted from my mom's behaviors secondly when I did realize that I blamed her for everything until the day that I realized she's a human, right? She's a woman. And I think that was when I had my kids in my mid thirties that I was like, holy moly. I think in her mind, she was doing the best that she could, even though in my mind, I'm like, girl, come on. Like, you know, that wasn't the best thing, but in her mind, she did the best she could. And then I go back to my grandmother. I was like, wow, she grew up when my grandmother was 
going through all this stuff and my great grandma. So if we, if we actually go back in time and see that, that lineage from the mother and I mean, women didn't have it very easy for a very long time. So, and we still don't, but we've gotten a little better, you know, like I come from, for a, sure. my great grandmother was, I'm from the Dominican Republic and she was married off as a teen to a much older man for safety and security. And she had 13 kids and she hated men. And then my grandma was one of the younger ones that didn't get, you know, she's number 13 and she was like off to be a nun somewhere and met this man and fell madly in love with him and had my mom as a single mom. And that was a very tumultuous relationship working two or three jobs. And then I have my mom who finally became an educated woman working two to three jobs with us because she was married, but for a moment to my dad. And then she was a single mom for a long time. And there was a lot of hustling and, and in a in a very harsh way. So I give her a little credit now when she when we're having a, a heated conversation. She says, I did my best. I'm like, I know you did, but there were things you did that you know weren't the best. How did you get into this? Talk me through your story of how you created this company that you've built and the career path that took you here. So I've always been a very curious person since I was a child. I was always a kid devouring books. I was always curious about life and nature and animals and planets. I remember my grandma asking me when I was a kid what I wanted to be. And I said, well, I want to be an astronaut, a chef, a ballerina, a princess, a doctor. I gave her a whole list. And my paternal grandmother, she said, you know what? You can do anything you want. She was very encouraging. and. I was always the person that people would say, if you want to know something, ask Paula. She just knows a lot of stuff, right? So my sense of curiosity carried me to New York City. Again, I grew up in the Dominican Republic. I felt I was born in the wrong place. At one point, it felt very small for me. And New York seemed big enough. And I ended up coming here when I was 20, turning 21, to study, um, continue my studies in art. I studied fine arts back home, always loved art, came to New York, did fine, art, fine arts and illustration. And I was a graphic designer for a little bit. Then I learned how to do 3D modeling. So I got into fashion and that I would design hardware for handbags. And eventually I had a boss that came to me. I was 24 at that time. And she's like, can you design a purse? And I said, I can learn. She said, we're going to decide. So that was kind of my, the beginning of my, my career life. It was like, what do you need me to do? I'll learn it. I'll do it. And it was all connected to art. And then I stayed there up until I was 39. I was in fashion. I got to a very high level heading the department. My last job was I was head of accessories at Banana Republic. So I was in charge of handbags, shoes, jewelry, scarves, all of it. And before that, I had worked for companies like Tommy Hilfiger, Kenneth Cole, accessories, accessories. I loved it, right? But between 35 and 39, I had my kids. I started to see the dynamics. I wasn't able to keep up with it. You know, the, a lot of people feel that or believe that being in fashion is very glamorous. And there's a very, even when you're not in the, uh, you know, designer brands, there's a, a certain allure of like, I want to be in fashion. But it's a lot of numbers and it's a lot of charts and a lot, it's a lot of calendars. And at one point, the higher up you get, the less assigning you do. And that 
mixed with having kids and not seeing them at home was adding to the stress. And I just got burned out. You know, throughout my 30s, I had faced a few fertility issues, metabolic issues. I worked with a lot of great doctors in New York, Dr. Alejandro Younger, Dr. Lippman. So I was really into like taking care of myself, but in a very aggressive way, I would say. So when things started to to arise in me, rather than, I mean, there was no information around it. It was like, do a cleanse, do a detox, you know, do these supplements. And I did that for many, many years. And by the time I turned 39, again, super burnt out. I looked in the mirror one day. Actually, it was, I had to take a a, a picture for a passport. And I go to the place, I take the picture, they give me the little strip. And I was like, who is this person? Like, I didn't even look like myself. And it wasn't only physically, I had so much inflammation at that point because of the stress and I wasn't eating well and I was drinking a lot. That was my, my night, you know, my nightcap was my salvation, but my eyes were just like flat. I was like, not there. And I was like, you know what? I have enough tools under my belt. I want to turn 40 feeling the best that I felt. I was exhausted. I had, you know, mood sway, like all of the things. So I pieced together the best of the best from all the things I had tried before. And by the time I turned 40, I felt great. I lost a bunch of weight. And I was like, I'm onto something here. And surely enough, these ads that start popping up whenever I was online of becoming a health coach, I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. But out of curiosity and wanting to kind of put together what I had done for myself as a sustainable thing that I could come back to, I decided to enroll that not with the goal of leaving fashion, not with the goal of becoming a health coach, just as a Paula being a curious person wanting to learn, I could do it at night. It was a year long program. Fantastic. And I fell in love with it. And as part of the curriculum, at one point you had to practice with family or friends. And I did, and they were getting their results. And I'm like, this could be a plan B. This could be in case of fashion doesn't work type of thing. And then at one point, at one point it was just like, no, this is what I have to do. This is my new mission in life. This is my my contribution. I've done enough in the accessory world. Now it's time to help women who like me have been burnt out, come back up because there's always time. Like you were saying your mom, even in her seventies, it's never too late. The body loves it when you, understand and then you start doing things the right way it just wakes up everything wakes up you really opened my eyes about being mindful around food it's not something i'm a pretty healthy eater in general but like sometimes if it's not i don't really care about food like food isn't a thing that i'm like you know i think about all day or what am i going to have for lunch so in in that sense like I'll just shove something into my face and it could literally be like the kids leftover Halloween candy or whatever's in my refrigerator that I might have if I'm not actively going out and having a meal with a friend or doing something where it's more social and engaged and it's like an experience. And so it's a little bit not being mindful, right? Because I should have thought about, okay, it's lunch. I'm going to get off this podcast. I probably should eat something. I like shoved something in my face before we started. And 
that's not being mindful, but I've been really thinking about it and like trying to plan ahead and trying to be a lot more thoughtful about what I put in my face because it does change the way that you feel. And if you are paying attention, you can see how certain things affect your body, especially as you get older. But what I love about your plan is you really break it down, the ideal plate into 21 meals. There are 21 meals. If you think about it into such tiny little buckets, it seems less overwhelming for somebody like me where every meal just feels annoying if I am not doing something that's kind of like fun and engaged or somebody for whom 21 meals is stressful because it's like each meal is is special to them or, you know, something that has to be like this whole big to do. It makes it manageable. It feels like a manageable way to think about food. It is. And, you know, I like to, I like to break things down to bite-sized nuggets or information. I like to break things down. You know, I really value ease and simplicity in everything that I do and everything that I, you know, gift or share. My country, again, I like to call it my contribution to this lifetime that I'm experiencing. So. 21 meals not only breaks it down into more a more sustainable approach of step by step but it also makes it seem more abundant that you actually have 21 opportunities to nurture your body or not do that and in most cases when people are having issues not feeling well you know that can lead to underlying health conditions that can lead to hormonal imbalances etc and we can get into that in a minute, but when you understand that you actually have a lot of opportunities to nurture yourself and it doesn't have to be that elaborate and complicated, it can be as simple as, you know, you were mentioning my ideal plate guidelines. Okay, for this one meal, I need to make sure I have some protein, some cooked veg, raw veg, a little fat and some, uh, you know, starch, depending on how I'm feeling. It's so much easier than planning a week of food or food prepping for three days or weighing and measuring food. You know, it's, it's, can I just go one plate at a time? And let me tell you something. Most times when people come to me, the issue is not the actual food they're eating. They're not eating Twinkies and donuts. They're actually eating really healthy food with some stuff sneaking in there. But it's either they're not eating, skipping meals, intermittent fasting, which is a rebranded form of, you know, disordered eating, or they're eating too much. Like, oh, I'm just going to graze all day and snack and just put something in my mouth rather than sit and, and eat a meal. Or the plate is actually incomplete. There's a, a whole group of foods probably missing. So I have so many clients, especially young women, because there's a lot of influence, you know, and opinion in social media on how people, this is how I eat. This is what I eat in a day and you should eat like me. And a lot of these influencers are either vegan, which they're not eating any protein or they're swinging to the other end. So I see a lot of people eating, not eating, eating too often or eating incomplete meals. What's your take on Ozempic? What is that? You don't know what Ozempic is? No. I mean, Ozempic is that diet shot that everybody, I mean, I must know 
like 50 people on it right now. The intention of it is, I think it was discovered as a diabetes drug, but it makes you, I think, nauseous and not hungry. So you lose a lot of weight. And talking about like not being mindful because it's such a quick fix. Like they're like, oh, you just go on a Zempic and you'll lose weight. And people I know who are like way too thin who don't need to lose weight and the fact that they think that they should be on this drug, just, you know, you're like, well, you have a messed up relationship with dysmorphia of your own body and your weight. But then it's not getting, like you said, down to the the why. What's the issue? You can't live on it forever. It's got to have side effects. I'm sure it's really good for some people who do have the issue that it's meant to treat. But people are just, everyone's on it. No, I, you know, let me write it down because I'm one of those people that I'm very much in my world. And I go back to the science when I need research and, you know, all that stuff. But trend-wise, I'm kind of like oblivious. It's the new intermittent fasting. You know, it's the new thing. It's like everyone's on the diet shots instead of intermittent fasting. They're just taking this. And And I've seen it do a good, you know, people who have really struggled to lose weight be able to lose weight. But it's not really getting to an underlying causation. It's just giving yourself a shot and then you aren't hungry. And like, it's not like you're going to like get to the bottom of it in that time period when you're on it and losing weight. It's not going to last, you know, and again, we're looking for sustainable things that, that we can carry sustainable, simple things that you can implement in your day to day, because, you know, that's a problem with a lot of supplements and, and trendy diets that when you're off of it, you know, there's, again, there's a beginning and an end. And when it's over, you don't know what to do. It's not a sustainable lifestyle because you haven't gotten to the bottom of it. You know, a few years ago, it used to be the human growth hormone shots. That's what people were doing. So I guess this is a replacement to that. But let me, you know, let me clarify something that I would love for everyone to understand. And is that unless you have an ailment, like a cancer, a tumor, like some, you know, autoimmune issue that things that really truly need medication, food is your medicine. Food can help the body heal itself. So food doesn't heal you. The body heals itself, but we need to give the body the fuel it needs to do its job. I think if we all would understand that we own an incredibly sophisticated and resilient piece of equipment, which is the human body. We would respect and honor it so much more. Now that we have to walk around like we're holy, even though I really do believe we all are, but we don't honor our body. We treat ourselves like it, it's disposable. Like we treat ourselves like I, I want my body to look and do this rather than body, what do you need? And I can tell you that even if you're taking medication, Food is going to be such a great support. And in most cases, I have clients that things that have gone into remission, thyroid issues, hormonal reproductive issues, both in fertility, trying to get, I get clients that have been trying to get pregnant for years and like two months into the program, they're like, I got pregnant, like during the thing, menopause symptoms go away. Hashimoto, like you name it, I have a list of, of 
the first the, the medication is reduced and they get off the medication and the thing is gone. I actually have a client who was invited to a lecture in Harvard or something because she has this very rare autoimmune issue that only her and like three other people in the world have it. And she was under heavy medication since she was in her early 20s, she's in her 30s now. And it was a forever medication type of ailment. And she's off. We've been working together since 2019. And they did all these test studies. It's gone. And of course, they're not asking her what she's been eating. She's like, well, I really believe that working with Paula and this thing. And they're like, we don't want to hear about that. We just want to show you on a pedestal. like, And she magically heals, you know. And if you understand why you eat this the way that you eat, why your patterns are there, why you're, you have these habits, and then you learn how to work around that and eat your, your food, you won't need any of this nonsense. You won't need any of pills or potions or shots. It's just insane. To take it a step farther, I think it's not even so much why and how you eat and the relationship you have around food. It's the relationship you have around your own levels of stress and your mentality. I also had a like, probably stress-induced autoimmune issue that went away when my stress levels went away. But a lot of it wasn't, again, I'm a pretty healthy eater, but it was about how you metabolize stress in your life and how you deal with things, how that affects your body, how food will make you healthier, how you have to like treasure yourself, like you say, and take care of your body. It's not about how you look and whether or not the clothes fit or you look like Haley Bieber. It's about your physically feeling strong and capable and knowing what and why you're putting what you are putting in your mouth. Yes, 100%. I do want to clarify, it's okay to want to lose weight. I think in our journey to body acceptance and and self-love, we've forgotten that it's okay if you want to fit into your pants, right? We don't need, we need to demonize somebody that wants to lose weight, which is a whole other conversation. Like now we don't want to talk about weight loss. It's okay if you want to lose weight, but is that- I agree with that. Body right? positivity is a good thing and we shouldn't make people feel bad about no. however they want to look and feel. It's just about feeling good. Yeah, it, it always comes hand in hand with not feeling good. So- I love that you brought up stress because stress is actually the biggest. I mean, first of all, we're under stress all day, every day. Everything is stressful. Eating too much, not eating enough, exercising too much, not exercising enough, sleeping really poorly. Everything is stressful to the body. And I, one of my teachers likes to say, and I, I love how he put it, how he phrased that. He said, your body is not trying to keep you alive. Your body is trying not to let you die. So our body is diligently working 24-7 to not let a virus, a bug, a shot of stress, you name it, what we go through every day, from killing you. So thank you, body, for, for not letting me die. Stress is huge. And, you know, the more advanced technology gets and the more open we are to the world as it is right now, there's even a bigger load of stress that we weren't experiencing even 30 years ago, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So in my program and the journey, we address five pillars 
I call it pillars because they all hold up the, the structure, right? We have nutrition, which is number one. First, I want to get you to eat, eat on time, compose your plate properly so that you're giving your body the nutrients it needs to do its job, right? Then we address stress management techniques. So breath work, meditation, journaling. We're going to get to the understanding of what is stressing you, what are you handling, how can we get your body to manage that stress better through nutrition and the, the techniques. We're going to address the lymphatic and nervous system. So I have all of these simple at home uh, things that you can do to activate your lymphatic system, which is essentially the sewage system of the body. And as many nutrients that we're putting in, we actually have to take the toxicity out, which the body does naturally. But some of these systems are not even being being activated because we're not moving all day. We're not we're sitting. You know, we do more most of our job sitting. We're going to address movement. So how are you moving? What what is your your goal? Are you moving for you know to build endurance? Are you moving to build muscle? Are you moving to just feeling like you're waking up? And of course, we're going to address sleep. And sleep is not last because it's less important, but it's because after we've gone through the first four, you should be sleeping pretty well. And we're just kind of tightening up because there's no use trying to do things to get better sleep. Let me uh, cut the light out. Yeah, let me not drink caffeine. Great. Let me take some herbs. Not so great. When you could be sleeping naturally because you're eating properly, you're managing your stress, you're flushing your body and you're moving correctly. Okay. Two questions. And then I'll, I being mindful of the time, I'll let you wrap up and go along with your day. But one is just, you work primarily with women and I want to shift the focus to women because we often put ourselves last. We're often eating the scraps of waffles in the morning on the way out the door or the leftover chicken fingers. And you're like, okay, well, it wasn't, you know, the healthiest meal, but at least I got something in my body and it's enough and, uh, you know, whatever. We don't make ourselves a priority. We've made our children, our jobs, our spouses, or even like, you know, ourselves in working out, but we don't make ourselves in what we eat necessarily our top priority. It really becomes like, honestly, for me at least, one of the lowest things on the totem pole because it's the easiest thing to manage and skip. Why do we do that? And how do you talk to women who work with you about it? So yes, I work mostly with women. I do work with men as well, but I would say 95% of my practice is women. And it's because looking at our history, we have been the ones conditioned to believe that food is bad for you. Essentially, you eat too much, you gain weight. You eat the wrong thing, you're going to get sick. We've been conditioned to have this scarcity mindset around food. There's never enough, or we're not going to have enough tomorrow. Or we carry this probably from our grandmothers, you know, where having a complete plate of food maybe wasn't available at that time. We've been conditioned to believe that pleasing everybody else is top priority pleasing and nurturing and that's our nature and and putting ourselves last so we carry a sack of conditioning that we have to decondition and in order to see food for what it really is which is gas for the tank you know if you have a car 
and it's in the red and you got to take the kids out of school, you don't go, I'm just going to chant it. I'm not going to stop at the gas station. I'm just going to see if we get there. (laughs) You're not going to do that, but we do that with our body. And it's because the body doesn't shut down immediately, but it starts shutting down if you're feeling lethargic, if you're feeling foggy mentally, if you're feeling like holding laundry, it's the heaviest task in the world, you know, little things that start feeling heavy, you you were burnt out. Burnout doesn't mean you're laying on the couch and you can't move. Burnout is that life feels overwhelming, that you don't, there's no joy, there's no spark in there. So women, we we carry a lot of that more than than men do, unfortunately. I see this often with friends of mine who have daughters, where they may have, like you said, women are carrying around a lot of generational epigenetic crap from around eating through generations. They hold stress differently, the way that they think about themselves, their weight, their self-worth. It's all so tied up together with food. And then they start to really be mindful and to try to break those patterns, but it's hard. And they have daughters And they really, really don't want to pass things on to their daughters. And it becomes a very confusing place to understand how to navigate because you're like, I don't want to give my daughter an eating disorder. I don't want her to eat like me, but I eat healthy, but I don't need her to feel like that. So I don't want to put pressure on her. All of the thoughts, all of the ways in which we pressure ourselves as women and mothers then becomes additionally stressful and fraught when you have a child that you're afraid you're going to pass on these habits to. And I I see people like spin out about it. How do you deal with the women who come to you who are working through their own issues and trying to become better and stronger and deal with their own histories and their relationship with food and their children? I love this question because it is so important to really understand and embrace what we spoke about in the beginning. They do what we do. They don't do what we tell them to do. So if you're, even if you're working through your stuff and you still have like a piece of lettuce and a nut on your plate and you're telling your kids to eat a full full plate of food, they're going to be, they're subconscious. You're going to say, but she's not doing it. So why should I, if mom is not sitting down at the table with everybody to eat, then, you know, she's busy doing something else. And what they're learning is it's if you're busy, you shouldn't sit down to eat when you're a grown up, right? So we're modeling all these adult behaviors. On the other hand, something that I often go through with my clients is, well, it's my kid's birthday and I don't want to not eat the cake. Let's say I have you on no sugar because I'm seeing that sugar is a trigger for you. There's a lot of sugar in it. We got to strip it out to rebalance your blood glucose, all that stuff. And you're like, well, it's my kid's birthday and there's going to be cake and I don't want to be the mom not eating the cake. And I say, well, it's okay if you don't want to eat cake. And that's something we have to teach our children as well, that just because something is there, you don't have to eat it. So if not eating the cake, because you know the cake is not going to make you feel well, it's a good message to give your child to say, you know what? Cake doesn't make my tummy feel well now, honey. So I'm going to skip it this time, but you enjoy it. Right. So we have to understand that each opposite end of the pendulum is the danger zone is how do we reach that balance 
where we're somewhere in the middle, where at the end of the day, we are honest with our kids and honest in how we act and honest in, in what we say, you know, and that connects to even how we behave around friends. And if you're going out and you're not drinking alcohol, which is another huge conversation, right? And they're like, what are you are you drinking? You're like, you know what? Because drinking doesn't make me feel that great. So can you be honest and say yes and no to something that you're putting in your body based on how it's going to make you feel? And I think that's one of the greatest kids uh, gifts we can give our children is if you don't want it, don't have it. If you want it, go for it. But make sure that you're giving your body what it needs, which is a lot of fruits and vegetables and protein and a full plate of food when you sit down. And if you want to have cake, if it makes you feel good, go for it. But if it's giving you a tummy ache, why do you want to eat cake? When you work with clients who have families and they're trying to really change the way that they eat and their ideal plate, is that something that they also bring to their family who knows, maybe some people don't eat as a family and, or you don't eat the same food as your kids or at the same times. How do you work that around family life and, and trying to be mindful about, especially when kids aren't really little, because when they're little, it's easy, right? They eat dinner at five o'clock and they, you know, chicken fingers and you can eat whatever you want. But as you get older and different schedules and different menus and tastes. How do you work with families? Because I find that sometimes tricky. Yes, very tricky. But if we remove all of the stigma or choice that we've actually given them, like we create these things. Oh, my kid doesn't want to eat the food. I'm going to make them some plain rice and plate pasta or whatever they eat. We create that, right? The body doesn't lie when or or doesn't deny when there is food that it needs in front of it at the beginning there may be some resistance and then I have clients who they're the same conversation I have teenagers they don't eat what I eat I'm like just start cooking the food and you supplement with the things they eat but you you're cooking you're making the food so you're going to make some salad you're going to roast some veggies you're going to make a protein and that's what you're going to put on the table and you can make a little pasta or rice or whatever they eat to go with it. And one week, two weeks in, my clients come to the fridge to find, you know, their their batch cook, whatever they've cooked for their lunch the next day, and the kids have eaten it. Like, mom, we actually like what you're making because now it's a complete meal. And it doesn't have to be a recipe meal. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. We eat first through our eyes, right? And then we smell. And the body, this is all information. When you have a plate, a complete plate of food, even a teenager will start recognizing it and they'll eat it. You just keep doing the thing. You keep doing and they'll they'll catch on. I promise you that. I love this. Will you please walk through, you have a new cohort that will be starting your Paola gang. Just give us the overview of if people are interested in working with you, what opportunities they have available to them and how you work with clients. Yes. And thank you. Thank you for encouraging me to share all the ways and you can which you can work with me. So I have a private coaching practice in which I have two different offerings. One is a group offering, which is a small cohort. We I do this every three months. So whenever you see me advertising or announcing there's a new cohort coming in sign up. Otherwise you'll have to wait three months for that. It is beautiful. You're in a small group of people, mostly women. 
and we have a curriculum where we go through all the pillars that I explained. So you're going to walk away with a really robust and well-rounded toolkit that you can continue to um, use as you evolve in your own journey. So that is my group offering. Then I have my mentorship, which is a one-on-one. They are both 12 weeks. The main difference is that the mentorship, all our conversations and all my instructions are for you. We can go very, very deep. That is for people that really like to have one-on-one space. Some of us like to be in a group. Some of us like our own space. And it's also great for people that have very specific goals or underlying health conditions they want to address and work through together. I do feel that when you're in group, you can learn so much from each other and from each other's experiences because there is so much that connects us, even though we're in different age groups and demographics. But there's also a beauty in the one-on-one that is it feels very intimate and, and very um nurturing as well. And then I have my beautiful community, which is called the Paula Gang. And that you can enroll at any moment. Same for the one-on-one, it's open enrollment. And that is a bigger structure where it's not so much coaching, but there is a curriculum. I am in there all the time. We have a weekly share. We have monthly live coaching calls. We have recipes that are being updated, cooking templates, and it's more of a, a dynamic sharing experience with everybody that's in there. I feel, I believe I have 50 something members at the moment. And for 2023, we have a whole new curriculum. So it's divided into trimesters. The first, tri- first trimester, we're going to be focused on fat loss, second trimester on hormonal health. Then we're going to go into um, underlying health conditions. And then I'm forgetting the fourth one because I think I'm still deciding what that's going to be. But again, if you stay for the whole year, you get to do all of it or you can come in at different times of the year and stick around and and learn about the things that interest you. This is awesome. And I am thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you again. I think the way that you approach eating and diet is so smart and really takes holistic, not H-O-L-W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C, the whole person, mind, body, spirit. There's so much that goes into how we think about food, what we put in our mouths. And I am so glad that we had the chance to chat today. Me too. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to reach me, you can email me paula at paulaatlason.live or go on my website, paulaatlason.live or on my Instagram, paulaatlasonwellness. And that's, I get silly there. So if you want to be entertained, that's what I'll put all of this stuff up too. I'll make sure that the links and everything are connected when this goes to be dropped on our podcast platform. Thank you so much. It's always beautiful talking to you. And I can't wait to see you in person again. Definitely. You are a delight. Happy holidays. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.